0: The text of this afternoon's sermon is Lord's Day 7, question and answer 23, which are the articles of the Christian faith, the creed, which we just sang a few moments ago. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, is there a secret to eternal youth? If you scour the internet and the bookstores, you will find many products and philosophies which offer you a way to slow down or even stop the aging process, and they usually involve a lot of money, time, and hard work, and a whole pile of misplaced trust. But even if sometimes there may be a way to achieve better health temporarily, no one can escape the fact that our outer self is wasting away. As we age, our minds and our bodies break down, and every day we draw nearer to death. And this is not a surprise. God is life. And when humanity turned their backs on God, they turned their backs on life itself. And the wages of sin is death. And here we identify the problem with every human attempt to find life on their own terms, to find eternal youth or eternal life. What's common to all of these human attempts is that they do not deal with the real problem, with the root problem. And the root problem is this. Man has sinned and has fallen short of the glory of God. Man has turned away from God, who is life itself. And so the only way out of death, the only way back to life, is to turn back to Him. To turn back to Him who is the way, the truth, and the life. What does the Scripture say? John 17, verse 3. This is eternal life. Not that you live for an infinite number of days. Not that your health is perfect and never deteriorates. But this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. This is not the secret to eternal youth. This is the publicly available good news proclaimed by the church around the world for thousands of years to all the nations. And this is the core of the confession of the Christian church. That life, true life, is to know God and to know Him in Jesus Christ. And you can be at death's door and you can know God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit and you can be more alive than someone in their prime full of health that is walking in their own sin and rebellion against God and that does not know Him at all. Now, the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Days 2 to 4 laid out the problem. Man is a sinner. Man is under the sentence of death. And Lord's Days 5 and 6 laid out the solution. Christ died for sinners. And Lord's Day 7 explains how sinners like us can participate in the salvation that Christ has worked. And how we get to participate in His salvation is by being engrafted into Him by a true faith and accepting all His benefits. And then Lord's Day 7 continues to describe the content and the character of faith. What does it look like to be united to Christ? to participate in his death and resurrection, to know life itself in him, to be reconciled to the Father through him. What does it look like? Well, it comes down to this. The Christian believes God. The Christian believes God's word. The Christian believes God's promises. It's all about God, it's all about who he is, it's all about what he has done. That's the content of true faith. And then in question answer 23, which is our text for this afternoon, we have a most beautiful and succinct summary of the word of God. Because in the word, God reveals himself to us. And in the word, God promises himself to us. And so the content content of our faith is this. That we knew him that we knew god father son and holy spirit that's what the creed is all about it's all about god it's all about who he is it's all about what he has done and in the next lord's days lord's days eight through to 22 each article of the creed is explained in depth but here we're summarizing it we're looking at it as a whole in question answer 23. Now, if you have your psalm book open, page 524 to the Lord's Day, you'll see that the creed is divided into three sections. There's a Roman numeral 1 and 2 and 3. Those are the three sections. The first section is Article 1 about the person and work of God the Father. That's what the church confesses in that section. In the second section with a Roman numeral 2, Articles 2 through to 7, The church confesses the person and work of God the Son. And in the third section, the church confesses the person and work of God the Spirit. That's the Creed, the summary of the Christian faith. The word Creed is derived from a Latin word, credo, which means I believe. And the origins of our Apostles' Creed here is not that the Apostles wrote it, because they didn't, but it summarizes the apostolic teaching. And the origins of the use of the creed in the liturgy is that in the early church, new members who came from the world as adults, who were not part of the household of faith, who were not born into the family of faith, but they were coming into it, they were baptized upon the public profession of their faith. Baptism is the sign and seal of being engrafted into Christ. And when an adult comes to the church, they can only receive the sign and seal if they first testify that they have and understand the faith by which they are engrafted into Christ. So the minister would ask the new believer before baptism, Do you believe Jesus is Lord? And they would answer, I believe. And if it was a Latin-speaking congregation, they would say, Credo, I believe. That's the Latin word for I believe. That's how it began. It was that simple. I believe that Jesus is Lord. And there's a reason why it was so simple. The early church began in the context of the the Jewish nation. And the Jewish nation had the word of God. They knew about God the Father and creation. They knew about the promise of the Messiah. They knew about the Spirit of God and the promise of forgiveness and new life and a new heart. And they were just missing one piece of the puzzle. They were just missing who was the Messiah. What was his name? That was the only thing they were waiting for to complete the picture. And so for a believing Jew to become a member of the Christian church, they simply had to take that final step to move from the Old Testament to the New Testament. They simply had to recognize and confess that Jesus was the Messiah. And you can see that, for instance, what the apostle writes to the Corinthians. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, 1 Corinthians 12, 3, where he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. You can see that also in the confession of Peter. You remember Peter confessing to the Lord Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ is the word for, uh, in Greek, for Messiah. You are the anointed one, the Son of the living God. And then think of what Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And right there, just in those few examples in the New Testament itself, you see some elements that come out in the creed. Jesus is Lord. We believe, look at article 2, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. And so for a believing Jew to move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, all they had to do was confess Jesus as Lord and Christ. But as time went on, and more and more non-Jews were added to the church, the confession at baptism became more detailed. People who didn't know the Old Testament It was a new thing for them to learn about God the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. And so the baptismal creed became more and more overtly Trinitarian. The the minister would ask in many churches, Do you believe in God the Father, who created all things? Do you believe in God the Son, who died and was raised? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And as Christianity progressed and the kingdom spread throughout uh, the world, In different churches, different details about the work of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would be added to the baptismal liturgy. And then churches would learn about the form being used in other churches. There would be people traveling back and forth, pastors and elders and deacons and members, and they would say, well, back in that church they have this line, and then the other church would say, well, that's a a great line to have, And, and so let's add it to our baptismal confession as well. And so over the centuries, slowly but surely, the Apostles' Creed took the form that we have it today, and the way we have it today, by the fourth century, it was largely in the form that we we know it now. If you look at the Creed there on page 524, you see that it's a most succinct confession of who God is as he has revealed himself to us in his word. It's actually a succinct summary of the Bible, taking the whole teaching of the Scripture and putting it in 12 articles. It's an incredible feat, really. The whole teaching of Scripture in 12 articles. Look at the first one there. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Which Bible book would you attach to that one? Which which Bible book does that make you think of? Children. I believe in God who created all things. You think of Genesis, don't you? And it's really beginning at the beginning. God is the creator of all things, and he sovereignly rules over all things. And then look at the last few articles, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And what Bible book does that make you think of? Well, Revelation, right? Where it speaks about the new heavens and the new earth and the resurrection from the dead and the beginning of life eternal. And so in between the beginning and the end, between Genesis and Revelation, the creed describes and confesses the, the teaching of what God has done throughout the history of the world as he governed the world in history, as he ordained all things, so that in the fullness of time, Christ was conceived, he was born, he suffered, he died, he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven. And so it goes through the scriptures, it goes through all the work of God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit in time and space. So in the first part, we confess that we believe in God the Father, the Creator. We know Him as the omnipotent God who rules over all things, who raises up kings and casts them down, who rules over history, who governs everything according to His eternal decrees. In the second part of the creed, We confess that God the Son entered into time and space and was made man. We confess that He did everything that God the Father decreed from eternity and that He had covenanted with the Father to do for us. He was conceived for us and our salvation. He was born for us and our salvation. He suffered for us. He was crucified for us. He was buried for us. All His suffering on earth and on the cross is summed up in that phrase, He descended into hell, and He did that for us. And then in the third part of the creed, we confess that the Holy Spirit takes the the benefits of Christ's sacrifice, and He applies them to us. And as we read the Scriptures, we see time and time again that the Spirit always works together with the Word, and He works through the Word. Word and Spirit always belong together, if you're ever in a situation where you perceive that people are saying, well, this is the work of the Spirit, but it doesn't fit with the Bible, then you know it is not the Spirit of God that they're talking about. Whatever the Spirit says, whatever He does, whatever He he causes to happen, always is connected with the Word of God as we have it in the Scriptures. And we see that from the beginning. When God created the world, He spoke it into existence. And he said, let there be light, and there was light. And when he spoke the world into existence, creating it through the word, creating it through the eternal Son of God, who is the Logos, who is the word, then the Spirit was there hovering above the waters, working with the word to create light out of the darkness and to bring forth Life out of nothingness. And so it is still today. It is by His Word and Spirit. There they are together again, Lord's 21. It's by His Word and Spirit that God gathers, defends, and preserves the church. It is by His Word and Spirit together that He assures us of the forgiveness of our sins. It is by His Word and Spirit, the voice of command at the last day, by the work of the Spirit, that He will raise our glorified bodies from the grave. And it is by His Word and Spirit, yes, it is in the power of Christ and the Spirit of God that we will live and live and live forever in glory in the new heavens and the new earth. So this is our faith. This is what we confess. This is who we confess. And it is by this faith, I believe in God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it is by this faith that we are engrafted into Christ and united with Him. And this faith is very simple. It's not a huge tome, and huge multi-volume set of dogmatics and theology that you need to memorize for the great catechism exam in the sky when Jesus comes back to judge the living and the dead then none of us would have much of a hope. That's not what it is. It's very simple. The faith is very, very simple. It's simply a confession that God is true. And that everything God says is true. And when we as believers, as simple as we are, when we just say, I believe God, I believe in God. I believe the Word of God. I believe the works of God. As He has revealed Himself to me, so I believe. And when we confess the creed, we're not just saying that we know about God. You can know lots of stuff about God and still go to hell. Lots of very, very top theologians throughout history who will not be with the Lord forever because they talked about God but they didn't know him. But When we confess the creed, we're not just saying we know about him. We are saying that we know him. This is our God. This is our Savior. This is who he is, and this is what he has done. Now, we live in the midst of a society which does not know God and which often does not want to know God. We know neighbors and co-workers and fellow students and even sometimes family members and close friends who are rushing around looking for something or someone to believe in, looking for the secret to eternal life. They flit from idol to idol, from religion to religion, from one self-help book to another. And it's hard for us to see that. It's like being in the desert and relaxing by the refreshing waters of the oasis with an unlimited supply of delicious, clear, crystal-clear water. Refreshing water. And just a few meters away, there are people filling their mouths with sand in a desperate attempt to slake their thirst as they're dying. And we know where the water is. We know where the life is. We know who the life is. We know Him. So how can we stay silent? How can we keep this glorious God and all His glorious works of salvation to ourselves? Brothers and sisters, if we really believe in the heart, we have to confess with the mouth. We have to do that. Not just just on Sunday, not just in church, not just when we sing the creed. But we need to testify. Remember from this morning, what Peter said, he called us out of darkness to do something, to proclaim the marvelous works of him who called us out of darkness into his his wonderful light. We've got to say something. If we believe it in the heart, we've got to confess it with the lips. So brothers and sisters, let us believe. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us hold fast our confession without wavering, and let us teach our children to confess His name. And then let us call the world. Let us call the world to come, to drop their idols, to present themselves before the throne of the universe, to bow the knee, and to confess with the tongue that Jesus is Lord, that they too might know him and that they too might be saved. You remember what we read from Isaiah? That's the whole point there of the verses we read from Isaiah, is that every man, woman, and child must give up their idols, must give up their own cobbled together faiths which are self and internally contradictory and which simply don't work at all, neither in this life, nor for eternity, that every man, woman, and child must give up their idols and turn to the only God, who is life itself. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Well, that describes the world around us. People looking everywhere except the right place for salvation, for hope, for life, for meaning, for purpose. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Brothers and sisters, that's where the rub is. You can go to university. You can sit in the first year Comparative religions class and people can say what do you believe and you tell them they say how nice That's wonderful So nice to hear and then they'll ask the Buddhist to say what do you believe and he'll say uh, or she'll say this is what? I believe and they'll say the same thing. How how wonderful for you and they will accept and tolerate what you believe no problem until you say this What I believe is true What the Buddhist just said is not true that's when you cross the line. When you state the claims of God, that there is none beside Him, that there is no life outside of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is no hope for anyone unless they bow the knee to Jesus, that's when the anger starts on the part of the world. Well, that's the gospel. The gospel is not that we're just one more group of people with one more set of beliefs that are part of this wonderfully diverse religious uh, landscape in Canada. That's not the gospel. The gospel is this. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn... From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance, every tongue shall confess, says Paul, quoting this in the New Testament, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord. It's going to happen. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and if our unbelieving friends and acquaintances do it now, it will be for their life. And if they wait to the day of judgment, they will bow the knee and they will confess to their own eternal judgment and condemnation. So brothers and sisters, this is not just a quaint set of 12 articles which has some academic interest for us. This is life itself. We are the church of the living God. We know him. And we are united with him by true faith. We know him as God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. And there is no life outside of that. And that's true for us. And it's true for the world around us. Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. In the Lord all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Brother and sister, is that our confession? Is that our confession? That we find our righteousness in Him. We find our strength in Him. We find our glory in Him. We find our hope in Him. We find the meaning of our life in Him. We find the the reason to get up in the morning in Him. We find the reason we do our work in Him. That the very goal of every plan and every thought is Him and His glory. That it's all Him if that's true then you know it to be true what we confess there in the last article of the creed the life everlasting since i now already feel in my heart the beginning of eternal joy because i know him i shall after this life possess perfect blessedness such as i has not seen nor ear heard nor the heart of man conceived a blessedness in which to praise God forever. Because, brother and sister, if this is true, if we know Him, if we believe Him right now, then we're already getting a taste of what will become perfect on that day when we see the glory of God in the face of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we see the beatific vision, when we see God Himself, and when we know Him and are known by Him perfectly, into all eternity. That is what it's all about. And that's what we're confessing every Sunday when we sing the Creed. Amen.